everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Amos Grunendijk. Good morning, everybody. You can have a seat. I'm glad you guys came today. And if it's your first time or your first time in a while, you are welcome here. And we're just people trying to love like Jesus. Um, as you sat down or as you found your seat, you noticed that there were these red solo cups around. Uh, I was just going to say, do you know the song? Do you know who sings the song, Red Solo Cup? Who? Toby Keith. Who knew that? Be honest. Not very many people. Uh, I'll just sing it now so when we, uh, when we reprise it during the worship set at the end of the service, uh, you know, red solo cup, you fill me up, let's party. That's very much the heart of Jesus. Okay. The idea is that everybody has a red solo cup, so uh, look around you. I didn't have enough. There should be enough red solo cups for everybody in the room, but not enough red solo cups for everybody in the, or not for every seat. So if you can't find one, uh, Beth, would you take this kind of extra stack? If, you, if there's not one near you, just kind of wave your arms and Beth will just go. Everybody have one? Okay, I, uh, I've lost my train of thought, but there are some things I'm supposed to share with you today. The first thing um, is that for the months of July and August, we were doing an initiative called, what? 100 Hours of Service. And we nearly reached that goal of 100 Hours of Service as a community after the first week. So we just kept going. And I have a grand total for you here after a summer of serving, 672 hours. Good job, guys. The idea was to celebrate the, the service that like you have in your hearts, but also motivate. For me, it was very much motivating. Uh, I don't know that I would have gone to the food bank this m- past month if not for the initiative. So I hope that the heart of it was like found, found a place in your heart to go and do some service that you wouldn't have done otherwise. I think we should do it next year. What do you think? Yeah. Let's do it next year. Um, the next thing is that next week is September 12th. There are two things important about September 12. You know what the first thing is? It's the beginning. That... If you couldn't hear Frank, he spelled eagles. If you don't know what eagles are, they're football players. So it's the beginning of football season, the first Sunday. But the second thing is, before the games, we're going to do a, an all-church picnic. You bring your own lunch. We'll bring water. It'll be a great time. Uh, No, one of the things we will talk about today is just the significance of coming together as people, sharing meals, sharing life. And so please put that on your calendar, and I would love to hang out with you, and it would be cool to see people. The plan is to do it outside. Uh, If it's raining, I think I'm I'm ad-libbing here. We don't have a plan, but I'm making one as I speak. We're going to just move it inside, okay? Because there's tables and we'll, we'll make it work. We will make September 12 work for an all-church picnic or eating inside party. Um, 
Final thing, in line with the importance of community, is this is the beginning, like this week, of a new life group quarter. And I don't, I don't think coming to church on Sundays alone gives you a real sense of connection. I love church on Sundays. I'm glad you're here. Uh, if you really want to be known, if you really want to see your life changed by the grace of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, it would be, uh, I think, really important for you guys to find some kind of community, whether that's a life group. There's a website, uh, csvineyard.org backslash groups, that you can see all the life groups, or find a smaller group of people. We call them tripods, where you just get together once a week, twice a month, talk about your life, not only football, but you can talk about football too in those meetings. So um, if you're coming in, sit anywhere and find a red solo cup. Uh, and if you don't have a red solo cup, do you have any more, Beth? Oh, there, there's some stacked back there. So say to Ivan, who's running sound, like, can I have one of those red solo cups? This will become, uh, hopefully, the hope is, is that these become meaningful later. So, uh, and then the other cup that you hopefully have, we have two cups this morning, the red solo cup and the communion cup uh, that you hopefully grabbed while you came in. But if you didn't, in the back, there are giving baskets and uh, the boxes are for the Four Corners offering. There's more of these back there. And there are Bibles back there. So if you didn't bring a Bible, grab a Bible while you're back there and bring it back. Um, okay, let's pray, shall we? Jesus, we have come here to worship you, to learn about you, so that we might love like you and be like you and experience you. And so we ask that you would send your spirit to accomplish those things and you, uh, that you would be the teacher, that your, that your kingdom would come in our lives. And we ask that your kingdom would come uh, into the communities, the workplaces, the families uh, that we inhabit. Amen. If you would, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. I would invite you all this month to read through the book of Luke. Do you know what the date is today? It's the 5th of September. That means there are 25 days left in this month. There are 24 chapters in the book of Luke. Read a chapter a day. This will line up, I think, well with our chosen series that we're doing, uh, but I think if you treat both the viewing of the chosen TV series and the reading of the book of Luke as spiritual disciplines, not just as something you do when you feel like it, but as something you choose to draw close to Jesus at some point every day, reading the book of Luke, and then we're doing two episodes a week with the chosen TV series, the goal is that you actually move toward Jesus, experience Jesus. And so, uh, would, would you join me in that? Could you give me like a, I will read the book of Luke kind of noise? Or yeah, yeah, okay, great. Thank you. Read it with me. Uh, but hopefully you're in the book of Luke by now in your actual Bibles there. Uh, we're going to be looking at a banquet scene. There are seven different times in the book of Luke where Jesus eats a meal in a group at a party with a group of 5,000 people, with Pharisees, with his disciples, uh, with Matthew or Levi is another name for him. 
which would have been pretty radical for Jesus, uh, the Jewish rabbi, to sit down with the, a, a tax collector who would have been seen as a traitor. Did you guys watch the Chosen TV series? Did you get that sense, like the, the, the level that you would be outcast from community if you were to partner with the Roman uh, soldiers and occupiers and tax system? Um, the number seven, of course, has some significance in the Bible. And if you were with us during our Levitical series, we read through the book of Leviticus, the number seven came up over and over again. So on the, on the top level, the number seven just says wholeness or completeness. But at least in the book of Leviticus, remember how the number seven always pointed back to what? Creation. Genesis 1 tells the story of creation spread out over seven days. And so in Leviticus, it was always reminding us, this is what a new creation looks like. This is what it means to be a new community, not like the world or reign or kingdom of Pharaoh, but the rule and reign of God looks like a new kind of community. This, I think, also shows us what the new community of Jesus looks like, because what you find in religious terms are religious insiders at the table with Jesus traitors at the table with Jesus, <laughs> sick, outcast people at the table with Jesus, prostitutes at the table with Jesus. This is what the new community looks like. The, the spectrum of society politically, religiously, economically, all come to the table with Jesus. And as we read through Leviticus, there were some difficult passages or difficult teachings. And I mentioned this briefly. I want to return to that idea. But if you read Leviticus or if you've read Leviticus, this actually helps solve or shed new light on what applying the book of Leviticus could lead to, right? Applying the book of Leviticus could look like uh, forming a very exclusive community where you have the people who follow the rules and people who don't. That's one of the problems of like potentially interpreting and applying the book of Leviticus. Jesus solves this problem simply by sharing a meal with people who follow the rules and people who do not follow the rules. Jesus, I mean, Jesus does this in all sorts of other places too. If you read through the book of Leviticus, one of the more troubling things is the like just blood and animal sacrifice on page after page after page. In Jesus' death, he says, no more. Another problem with Leviticus is like if you get sick, you're basically thrown out of the camp. If you get leprosy, if you have some kind of disease, if, if you're bleeding, you're called unclean. And Jesus welcomes everybody to his table. And then in the book of Leviticus, I'm bridging this Levitical series with the Jesus series. I don't know if you're Noticing this? If you've ever read of the, the book of Leviticus, there's this stoning problem. Is that kind of troubling to you? Like in the book of Leviticus, like as you read, it's like, well, if you break the rule, then we will stone you. What does Jesus do as religious leaders gather to stone a sexually immoral woman? Jesus says, look at your own heart. He who is without sin cast the first stone. And everybody drops their stones 
and walks away. Guys, Jesus is the full revelation of God's heart. Jesus is why we are here. Jesus is why we're reading the book of Luke. Jesus is why we're going to sing songs later. It is all about Jesus. And so anything you can do to learn about Jesus, to grow to be more like Jesus, to understand how Jesus would talk, to understand who Jesus would spend his time with, go after that. That's, that's why we're here. And so uh, Luke chapter 11 is kind of a strange place maybe to begin this series, but I think it becomes uh, not just as one of the feasts, it or one of the, the banquets that he attends, uh, but it becomes in some ways a, a prototype for what he is driving us all to or toward. Uh, even though on the surface it seems like a very irrelevant topic, there's a lot of context and a lot of cultural dynamics that Jesus is poking at. So Leviticus, Leviticus, Luke and Leviticus both start with L. I will probably make that mistake again. I said Leviticus a lot in the last couple months. So uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 37. As Jesus was speaking, one of the Pharisees invited him home for a meal. So he went and took his place at the table. His host was amazed to see that he sat down without first performing the hand-washing ceremony required by Jewish custom. And then the Lord, that is Jesus, said to him, You Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and wickedness. Fools! Didn't God make the inside as well as the outside? So clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor, and you will be clean. I want to start, uh, I'll look, we'll look at a couple words, we'll look at some context, we'll hopefully drive it home and make this relevant uh, for everybody's life. But one of the words that stands out in this text is the word fool. And in biblical terms, well, literal Greek, aphron, which would be a great insult if you ever want to insult someone, which wouldn't be necessarily Jesus-like. But here he calls the Pharisees fools, aphrons, uh, which basically means unknowing. But there's a, there's a very specific biblical sense of this word. A fool is someone who lives as if there is no God. That comes from the book of Proverbs. And I want to drive this home a little bit, and I'm just going to be a little direct. So can you just give me a little grace? Like pretend there's like a little umbrella, and there's, I'm just, there's grace. Give me some grace, okay? On Facebook, there has been a fair amount of news, we'll call it. I, I always would encourage you to read Facebook news with a critical eye. I don't, I don't actually know, though, what's going on in Afghanistan totally, uh, but there's been a lot of Facebook chatter about persecution of Christians in Afghanistan. And I would say pray for the Christians in Afghanistan. 
But one of the things that our American culture and worldview says is that the worst thing that could happen to a person is that they be put to death, that they would lose this life or be persecuted. American Christianity, if Christianity gets too enculturated, we see this life as the most important thing. Our stuff is the most important thing. So if someone takes away our stuff or takes away our job because of our faith or takes away our life, that would be the worst thing that could happen to us. But it's not true. The worst thing that can happen to a follower of Jesus is that they live as if there is no God. The worst thing that can happen to a follower of Jesus is if their faith becomes convenient or complacent or comfortable or consumeristic. The worst thing that can happen to a Christian is, I'm only going to live like Jesus, talk like Jesus, share how important Jesus is to me when it's convenient or when it's comfortable, when I'm around other people who follow Jesus, when I won't be made fun of for my love for Jesus. I'll come to church and I'll just sit and and listen. I'll watch, like, like I'm watching a show on Netflix. Like it's all about me. It's for me. It's not for God. It's not for the worship of the creator of the universe. It's not to serve and love people. The worst thing that can happen to a follower of Jesus is not that they are persecuted. It is living a life as if God is not the most important thing in your life. Okay, let's keep going. Just gonna pull out some notes here. Whoa, don't know what that is. Here's the context. In the first century Jewish world, there is a lot of rules about everything. So to be a good, faithful Jew means you follow all the rules. At least that's how the Pharisees kind of projected it. And the rules were maybe at first intended to honor God and then sometimes became about social status or self-elevation. And so Jesus offends his Pharisee host by not washing his hands. And we're not talking about hygiene here. We're talking about a ceremonial washing of his hands. That in Leviticus, there's actually a precedent for washing your hands if you touch something that is unclean. The interesting thing here is that the expectation that Jesus would wash his hands in a particular way is, well, offensive to the heart of Jesus. What might have Jesus touched, or who, rather, might have Jesus touched to make his hands unclean? Why would the Pharisee think that Jesus needs to wash his hands? Well, maybe it's just a religious rule, wash your hands all the time before every meal, And, you know, it takes however many minutes and you say the right words. Or maybe the belief from the Pharisee is you have touched unclean people. Look up, if you have your Bible still open, to um, the rest of chapter 11. Jesus, in verse 14, casts out a demon. He, He goes and interacts with an unclean man. In verse 29, it says, the crowds press in on Jesus. Who's in the crowd? Everybody. (laughs) 
all kinds of people, the kinds of people that the Pharisee would say they are unclean. And so you don't just have to wash your hands because you got some dirt on them or you might catch cold. You need to ceremonially wash your hands because you have associated with unclean people. And Jesus is not going to play that game. Jesus then looks at a cup. uh, And I have a picture of the cups that they would have used in the first century. They're very specific kinds of stoneware where they drilled out the cup uh, handles. And so there's a very specific kind of cup and the... uh, there's a particular Pharisee rabbi who says you need to not only clean ceremonially the inside of the cup in order to make it clean. Again, I'm not talking about hygiene. There's a ceremony to wash the inside of the cup. You also have to wash the outside of the cup. And Jesus takes the critique of his host when he says, you didn't wash your hands in the right way. And Jesus looks at the cup and says, you Pharisees think that you need to wash the outside of the cup as if that matters. But then he turns it into a metaphor for the soul. He says, what really matters is on the inside. You Pharisees live a life that you think makes everybody think you're super special, holy, put together, doing great with God, but on the inside, you're full of junk. And you won't show it to anybody. You're hiding it. And so one of the words that Jesus uses to describe the Pharisees here is a word he uses quite often, hypocrite. The word hypocrite uh, is actually two Greek words pushed together, hupokrinomai, which one way to interpret would be under judgment, or another definition would be to separate. And the idea of the separation is there's a separation between what's real and what's not real. And so classical Greek theater would use this word hypocrite to describe the actors, because the actors would take a mask, put on the mask, and pretend to be someone that they were not. And so when Jesus says the word hypocrite, he's, he's bringing this idea into people's minds, like you're just acting. All the religious ceremony, the I'm okay, I've got it together, my life is good, you're just acting. You are wearing a mask. But what's really going on in the inside, he, it, it, are you circling words in your Bible? So circle the word fool, and then circle the word hypocrite, but then also circle the words uh, Greed and wickedness. He says to the Pharisees, first of all, you are a hypocrite. You have separated out the inside of the cup from the outside of the cup as if they're different. You're living a divided life. But what's on the inside? Greed. The Greek word harpazo, which means to take something or maybe steal something, to take more, to never be content to go to the next thing, to buy the next thing, to try to build up your reputation in the next way. You're never content. You're greedy. That's what's on the inside. 
Pharisees. The second word is wickedness. The Greek here is ponros. And when I typed that into PowerPoint, it came out as ponchos. It auto-corrected to ponchos, which was pretty, I thought, I just thought it was funny. Um, so when you look at this word ponchos, I mean ponros, um, and you go back to like Aristotle and some of the classical Greek writers, um, it, it takes you past just the idea of like you did something morally wrong and into some interesting places. So one of the words that is used, uh, or one of the ways the word is used is like you're, you're a destructive person. If you are a wicked person, you are a destructive person. You have a wake of, re, of relational wreckage that follows you. And this idea of being greedy or self-absorbed or it's all about me and having a re relational wake of destruction behind you is, I think, connected. Another way that this word ponros uh, gets used in classical Greek literature is to describe a parasite. So like maybe you're a parasite on the empire or a parasite on your community or a parasite on your family. In other words, you're not producing, you're not giving, you're not serving, you're only taking. Again, you're making it all about you. And that is what, where the division comes between on the outside, you, you, you try to make everybody believe that you're pious. But if you knew the heart of God, you'd know that that self-serving piety is repulsive to him. And so the, the solution here that Jesus gives, and again, I think he's, he's speaking to a very specific people at a very specific time, uh, because if you were a Pharisee, it was most likely that you came from means, like had a lot of money, and you were surrounded by people who were hungry, like actually hungry starving, didn't have food to eat, and you're throwing food away because you have more than you can consume. And so he says to these Pharisees, you want to clean the inside of the cup? You should give to those hungry people out there. You should make your life more about your metaphorical savings account, more than your entertainment, more than your luxuries. You need to make your life about something more than you to be generous to the poor, for instance. That would be a heart condition. Don't give to the poor because these Pharisees, these Pharisees gave to the poor, all right. In fact, when you, if you read through the Gospels, through the New Testament, you'll see the Pharisees gave very loud and publicly to the poor. Look, I'm so generous to the poor, but Jesus isn't talking about that. He's talking about what is on the inside of the cup. And so we have, if you could just take your cup, humor me. <laughs> I want you to look inside your cup for a second and imagine that all the things that nobody else can see about your life but you, maybe it's your past, maybe it's some secrets, maybe it's lies that you believe about yourself or other people. Maybe, and this is super common, so I say this pastorally, not with condemnation. Maybe you have this mind that runs constantly and critiques and judges and puts down. And sometimes it comes out of your mouth as sarcasm, but most often it's just like, well, that person is dressing like a 
prostitute or that guy's an idiot or what's wrong with these people or what's wrong with society or what's wrong with the president or what's wrong with the governor or what's wrong with the celebrity or what's so there's just this constant need to judge or villainize or look down on people and that's that's part of what's inside of your cup Maybe there's addictions. Maybe there's this rage that's just always boiling or very easily or very quickly can bubble out. So it's, it's boiling inside and then someone just pokes you a little or maybe not even on purpose. Maybe they just come and, you know, give you a little relational ship. <laughs> you know, maybe you're married to this person and they just come and give, say a little something that, that pushes that ugliness out and people, you know, you think, you think you, you're hiding it, but actually people see it better than you think. What's inside your cup? I'll tell you, the last year, for most of us, there's been a little extra pressure And it's come out. What's inside of you has come out. And it's terrifying. T terrifying to your family, to your friends, terrifying to you. Because you lost control and you, you didn't know that was inside. Part of what healing, transformation, learning to actually love like Jesus includes is dealing with what's on the inside of the cup. And it's, it's not only ugly in there. I'm not saying that. But everybody's got something ugly in there. Anybody have a perfectly clean cup? Part of the solution is to take your cup and show it to people you trust, your community, your life group, your tripod. Part of being transformed, part of the process of being transformed is to be known truly, unfiltered, and to make sure you find people that will accept you when they see what's inside the cup. And that's the commitment. And we're not perfect, of course. This is not a perfect church. Um, if you are perfect, you're just, you, you've, uh, you've not looked inside your own cup. <laughs> if you think you're perfect. We are not a perfect church. We will not always love and accept perfectly as Jesus does. But we're all trying. <laughs> we're all on the journey. I hope that, uh, that even if we mess it up or betray confidence or give a piece of judgmental advice that we'll stay committed to each other, that you'll have the courage to say, hey, that hurt me and 
there can be reconciliation. It's not easy. Uh, maybe inside your cup, there's just this long, festering unforgiveness in your heart. You know that anything that you left unforgiven will just slowly start to mold. Have you ever left coffee in a cup for like a month accidentally? <laughs> this happened to me. <laughs> Actually, this happens to me. Uh, it didn't just happen to me once. But like, unforgiveness is like coffee you've left in a cup for maybe it's been 10 years. <laughs> maybe it was something your dad said. Maybe it was something your teacher said. And it just becomes part of that delicious cocktail that's in your red solo cup, that's in your soul, friends. This is the invitation, to live a life transparently before other people. But also, you have two cups, right? We're going to take communion later. But I want you to remember that this is not the only cup. <laughs> Jesus has a cup that he offers you. And we're going to watch a scene from The Chosen. It's like four minutes. It's, I think it's from episode two, right? <laughs> I think it's from episode two. Jesus sits down and has a Shabbat meal. One, one of the meals um, in Luke is... Uh, well, it's a Shabbat meal. That's when, the, remember, the, uh, the Pharisees get upset about healing on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees are having their nice little religious meal. And uh, some, some people who were not invited, or at least one guy who was not invited, but Jesus welcomes in, comes, and Jesus heals the man. And the Pharisees are upset because there's been work done on the Sabbath, right? But the, the Sabbath meal was one of the rhythms that Jesus would have participated in every single week. And I think there's something to be learned here. And I, I haven't quite figured out how we live into this as a church, but life group gets real close to this. So every, it would be Friday night because the day starts at sunset. And I actually, I lived in Israel for like four months and we had Shabbat meal. At Friday, on Friday, about 2 p.m., everything shuts down in the city of Jerusalem. Because on Friday night, people gather with an open door to share in this meal. And at the same moment, when the first star shines, people begin to speak the words that you will hear. And so I want you to pay attention to who's at the meal I want you to pay attention to the countenance of Jesus, who Jesus chooses to share this meal with, because I, I just think they get a lot right. And it is, it is not a Shabbat meal, a Sabbath meal that Jesus does uh, uh, during his last summer, supper, <laughs> but it is, it is one of the meals, and the Passover meal resembles the, the Sabbath meal in a lot of ways. And so let this clip from this episode, which is three minutes and 58 seconds because we're allowed to show a four-minute video uh, according to copyright, let this be a, a preparation for communion, which we will take during 
the worship set. Let's play. Do I know you? Oh, sorry, I'm, I'm James. This is Thaddeus. We were told this would be a good place to come. We can leave if it's awkward. Oh, oh no, oh, please come in. You're most welcome here. So, can we help? Oh, no. Well, uh, yes, I... I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I see food. That's a victory. If I'm not doing something or doing something wrong, you tell me. Oh, nonsense. It's already great. Can't remember the last time I was invited to Shabbat dinner. Me never. You never been to Shabbat? Of course I've been to one. Been to lots. Just never got invited. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the extra seat for? Oh, uh, for Elijah. Am I right? I, I remember my mother always setting an extra place for Elijah. That's only for Passover. Just once a year at Seder. Well, when Seder comes, I'll have a head start on setting up. <laughs> <laughs> Notes. <laughs> Let's see. Can I read it for you, Mary? Stop it, Barnaby. I read better than you. My father taught me. Very impressive. <sighs> uh, oh, uh, is the first star out? Yes. Let's eat. Like I said, you are very popular. Or it's a Pharisee here to shut us down for letting you be here. Hello, Mary. Hello. It's good to see you. Yes. Yes. I don't want to be rude, but would it be okay if, if I... Oh! <laughs> yes, of course. Please come in. I just never thought you'd mm. I have guests here. Uh, this is my first time. I don't know what I'm doing. Rabbi. Rabbi. You already know these men. They are students of mine. I trust they have been polite. Of course. Your guests can take the seat. Yes, Mary? Oh, of course. <laughs> yes, of course, please have a seat. I keep saying of course a lot. <laughs> um, Francis is the man I told you about who, um, who helped me. Yes, yeah, Mary told us so much about you. Oh, I hope not too much. I'm Barnaby. This is Shula. She is blind. Ah. In case you couldn't tell. I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I don't actually know your name. I'm Jesus of Nazareth. Huh? Well, apparently something good can come from Nazareth. <laughs> <laughs> Mary, I'm honored to be here. Why don't you begin? Oh, no, I, I couldn't now that you are here. You must. Thank you, but this is your home, and I would love for you to do it. Okay. I'll just, uh, I'll just read from this now. Now, the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. And God completed on the seventh day his work that he did. And God, and God abstained on the seventh day from all the work he did. The 
invitation is to live a undivided life, a life that is shared, a life where we offer our complete self to Jesus, trusting that he will honor us with his presence. And so, as you can see, I set up this cross over on the right. As we worship, some of you may feel compelled to take your cup prior to taking the communion cup, to take your cup and set it at the foot of the cross. Because that's what the cross accomplishes. It forgives our deepest sins. <laughs> it heals our deepest hurts. Jesus walks beside us and understands and loves us in our worst behaviors at our lowest moments. And so if that's something you feel compelled to do, I, I invite you to come and bring your cup as a way to symbolically bring your life, to bring your junk, to bring your whole self to Jesus. And so let's stand. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.